this was just not how I envisioned that my life would be. And I would do that day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. And you get the point and you close your eyes and five years goes by, you close your eyes again. It's like another five years and, and you go, this is the way it's going to be. So at a certain point, the pain started to, to get to be so great for me that I absolutely was forced to do something about it. CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mentor Box Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, content coordinator, and today I'm joined by Adam Markell, author, speaker, and many other things. He wrote the book Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. Adam, we had a great time with you in the studio a couple weeks ago. You gave us a series of great lessons on how to embrace change and how to make that change in your life, you know, within a career or within you know, general lifestyle. I want to hear a bit about the sort of origin of this book, Pivot, and what it's meant to do for people. Oh, beautiful. First of all, Tyler, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a blast to be in the studio with you guys. It was a great time. Yeah. You were very passionate, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, way cool. You know what? It, passion is contagious, I think, sometimes. And your whole crew was so enthusiastic, and I... Yeah, we, we just enjoyed it. So I was there with my wife and our oldest daughter, Chelsea. Yeah, they were wonderful. Yeah, it, it was just so much fun. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. So pivot, the art and science. I love that, by the way, art and science of reinventing your career and life. What You told me the origin story of this book in the studio. I'd love if our listeners could hear it as well. And just ultimately what it's supposed to to give to people when they read it. Yeah, way cool. We, you know, this book was really interesting as it, it was coming into focus for me. It was born out of pain. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I, I was, and I think some people can probably relate to this. I was not feeling great about my life for a period of time. I was waking up in the morning with this feeling that something was wrong. And, and it wasn't just in the morning, but that was the time when it was sort of the most profound for me because it was, I was getting up early like a lot of people do. It was dark out. My wife was sleeping. She didn't have to get up just yet for the kids. The kids were sleeping and I was up alone and I put my feet on the floor and the first feelings I had were kind of dread. They were, they were this, this inside feeling as though something was wrong that I couldn't put my quite put my finger on it. And it felt like anxiety. It felt like angst. I just didn't have a lot of enthusiasm for, for my, my life at that time. And mostly for my, it was not my personal life because on the weekends I was sort of fine until Sunday, you know, but, but as soon as 
I started to think about work. Sunday scary. Yeah, man. As soon as I started to think about work and think about what I was doing for a living, my insides would contract. And I didn't have a lot of language for it at the time, but now I look back on it and I, I really can feel that my my heart was closing and my my soul even, my soul was shrinking because this was just not how I envisioned that my life would be. And I would do that day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. And you get the point and you close your eyes and five years goes by. You close your eyes again. It's like another five years. And, and you go, this is the way it's going to be. So at a certain point, the pain started to, to get to be so great for me that I absolutely was forced to do something about it. And and I can get into the, the those details a little bit later, but Ultimately, what I did became the subject matter of the book and ultimately became this process that I used to create a change in my professional life and in my personal life as well. And as I was writing the book, I, I started out writing the book as a guide for our kids. I wanted. Yeah, I love that so much. I really wanted them like I married my college sweetheart and we had four kids and really I felt so lucky, you know, as, as a parent to have healthy kids. And, and at a, well, I, when I was writing the book, I thought, geez, they're going to have this happen because everybody does. We all come to a place where, you know, we've hit a crossroads and we don't know whether to go left or right. Or we feel like maybe we've even hit a wall and there's no place to go. We're completely stuck. And what do we do? And I've been through that dark night of the soul and came out the other end. So I didn't have a midlife crisis. I ended up having a midlife calling and I wanted my kids, I wanted our kids to be able to know what their dad did in that moment. What was I thinking? What was what was my plan? How did I get out of that dark place? So I started to write the book for them. And then one day I remember our, our oldest daughter, Chelsea, who you, you met, she was in the studio, studio. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was wonderful. Very smart. Spectacular. And she's so much smarter than me. So she, she says, Dad, this book is not just for us. This book is for a lot of people, like the world even. And I thought, wow, yeah, I'm how even in that moment where I'm writing a book, which was a brave, you know, it felt like a courageous thing to do, uh, especially since I wasn't a professional writer. I was a lawyer at the time. So it wasn't my my thing to do that. She said, this is this is for a lot of people. I, and I went, yeah, even in this, I'm playing small. How could I play a bigger game? Well, you know what? I'm going to write this book and make it so that it's it's for everybody. And sure enough, I got an agent. I got a publisher. They bought the book and the book became a, a huge international bestseller. And now we hear from people all over the world, which is pretty trippy. I, I hear from people <laughs> in places that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I saw on your website, you list like a number of countries on different continents and everything that you've, that you've spoken to individually. You know, you've probably given speeches in tons of different countries at this point. I have. I've been blessed to, to speak on this topic all over the world. But we get emails all the time from people in places and we and they're telling us how they're using the process, how they how they applied this process of change. And I, I think that's at the root of what Pivot is. It's a book about change. And last night I was watching something on, on Netflix. I was watching this beautiful documentary about Ram Das. And Ram Das said, make friends with change. And I, of course, it was a perfect thing to tweet. It was a perfect thing to put out on, on social media. And, and it is the essence of pivot that we make friends with change. And for the most part, my experiences personally and with working with so many people, as you said, from places all around the world, people don't make friends with change. Change is something that we resist and we sort of hide from at times because it it's really scary. And I know you've you've had change. You've, you've dealt with change as well. So, yeah, it, it's not the easiest things you know, thing to deal with at times. And in fact, often there's, there's two types of change. There's a change that we invite 
that we design. And there's a change that that happens because we've ignored the signs. And, and we call that a, a change by default. And that what that means is we don't, you know, there's a change that comes as a result of adverse circumstances. So it's like yeah. there's all these signs and maybe the, the wind is gently, you know, whispering in our ear that we're not happy or that, that our body doesn't feel good. Or there's other things, you know, I'm not sleeping well at night or I, I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for my job or I'm angry all the time, which was one of my symptoms that I was mm-hmm. I found myself in the middle of the day just being really angry. And, and I, you were angry. That surprises <laughs> me. You're such a happy, passionate man. I can't even picture you as an angry person. So you must've been in a really tough place. Dude, I, I was, and I was a lawyer. So I was a litigation attorney. I had a perfect okay, outlet well. <laughs> from my anger. Right. Uh, but, yeah. and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Just recently I was thinking, what was the dread about? You know, I was feeling this anxiety as I was waking up in the morning, my wife was sleeping and it was dark. She would, she didn't have to get up yet to, you know, get the kids off to school. The kids were sleeping. I was going to get up, take care of things and, and, and leave the house and and go commuting to the city. And, and I was feeling this dread and I realized a part of it was that I was going to, I was going to have another angry day. I was have another day that didn't feel good that I couldn't wait to get home. And by the time I would get home that night, the kids would be sleeping again. And that was the cycle that repeated itself sort of day after day, as I said earlier. So yeah, that, that cycle was whispering, like those symptoms, those signs were whispering in my ear Hey, make a change or, or do something different. Like, look at your situation more, more carefully. Look, you know, what's the plan to, to, to see this thing change and whatnot. And, and what I found is that we can either listen to those signs and do something about it, or we can wait. And when we wait, oftentimes, and often we wait because, you know, we think there's a lot at risk if we, if we do make a change, Oh yeah. you know, I can't quit my job. I can't give up all I've done already, or I don't know what to do next. Or, you know, what will people think if I, if I change and do something, I go after my dream. I start like a, you know, I create a, like a, a meatball truck, you know, like one of those food trucks where I go out and <laughs> I create a pop-up gallery, you know, be a yeah. artist, wherever. And it fails. What will people think if I, I go for it? And and it fails. So I understand why people will, will stop short or, or just ignore those signs. But when we ignore those signs, then other things happen. The universe gets involved. And now instead of a whisper, instead of a, you know, this gentle wind, we get a storm, we get a raging storm that gets our attention in a different way, whether it's that, you know, we lose our job or we sabotage our life or, or our business in some way, or, or someone leaves or dies or, or we get a, a diagnosis. But that's my experience of change, that if we don't make friends with change, as Ram Dass said, because change is the natural order of the universe. Change is a constant. Disruption is everywhere. So if we're not if we're not working with change, change operates nonetheless, and and it operates whether we you know whether we're going to go along, you know, willingly or or it's going to drag us there. And so that that's been my experience a little bit of of how of how change impacted my life and what inspired the book in the first place. So let me propose a. a- an extension of Ram Dass sort of personification of change there as, you know, make, make friends with change. I guess the way I would think of it is I had a very similar experience to yours. I would guess not as severe because I'm much younger and I, I don't have, you know, quite a family established and I was only working for about two and a half, three years at my previous job before mentor box. But I had that sort of dread when I woke up and I felt as if what I was doing was worth it because the company and the sort of institution within which I was working 
was a noble one. I, I respected sort of the ultimate why of what I was doing, even though my immediate efforts and my immediate job weren't fully satisfying me and caused a lot of that dread. And I guess ultimately what that makes me feel like is that change is sort of a bully. Change appears to me as something that it keeps you down because you're afraid of it. And I, I sort of rationalize, you know, why, you know, this is fine. Being a salesperson in this capacity is fine, even though I'm not fully enjoying it because at the end of the day, I'm contributing to something that is much more important. And I endured bullying when I was in middle school way back in the day. And I always thought, you know what, this is fine because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm at school for a different reason. And, you know, it's, it's not just the social life. It's, it's about academics and that sort of thing. But I realized that at the end of the day, there are many, many more options than just doing that one thing and just kind of being pinned down by, you know, a bully or by, you know, the, the prospect of change. The world is full of employment and money-making opportunities to sustain you, but also just ways to make change and to do work that you love and really value and appreciate. And I was just kind of held down as if I was being bullied by that prospect because I figured, you know what, I'm fine. And then one day something adverse did happen to me or more like within my my company that I just, it was kind of an ethical quandary that just set me off and said, you know what, I got to do it. I, I freaked out a little bit and I said, I got I to gotta make a change. And it was actually really liberating. And it now that I'm thinking about it, now that you gave me this Ram Dass quote, I'm thinking it almost feels like the time when I realized, oh, I had become friends with my middle school bully because I sort of realized that that person had insecurities of his own or those people did. And we, we just, we had a lot more in common than, than we ever thought in the first place. And after some, you know, some mediating and things like that, things ended up fine. And we really figured out a a happy place of change, but it was just that first step. It was that, it was that every day putting my feet down and saying, you know what, this sucks, but I'm just going to go do it again because of that higher purpose, that sort of larger end. And, I think it's it's so inspirational that you're putting this out there in a more in a more broad way to encourage people and you know your children but all people to make this sort of change because I do think it's very intimidating to make you know large scale change as you've shown and as I think so many people experience. Oh my goodness. I, I got first of all Tala, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that and uh I, I've been writing thank I, you. I've been taking notes on what you're saying because it, like we we could literally talk about this topic the way you've just framed it, in fact, for hours, because we've all experienced, well, I don't want to say we've all, but lots, I think lots of people understand what bullying looks like. I mean, and, and we've, we've either been bullied or been the bully or both. Yeah, yeah. And we understand what that's like. And change, change is intimidating. It is like a bully. I absolutely... And how we respond to it very much resembles the way we've responded to bullying in our lives. And I was bullied as a kid as well. And we do make up these stories like this is fine. It's not fine. There's nothing fine about it's not. it. Yeah. yeah. To do work that your heart isn't in is just flat out. It is deteriorating to your soul. It's deteriorating to your spirit. And there's absolutely no reason that we should have to tolerate it. In fact, Again, I think many, many people reach that that place in their life where they've got to make that that decision for themselves, whether they're going to tolerate something, 
something that that doesn't feel the way it should. And I think being held down by a bully doesn't feel good to anybody. And we all have to be empowered at a certain point to do something about it. And and that's the thing that I, I think not everybody knows how many options they've got. There are limitless options. Oh, my for, God. Endless. Or a livelihood. Right. Didn't you find that to be the case once you finally woke up to that reality? Yeah, when I opened my my mind to the different possibilities, I basically told myself, well, I, I'm from uh, Massachusetts, as I've said on multiple podcasts, and you spent some time there as well. We can talk about that later. But I had lived in Massachusetts all my life. And when I finally told myself at my last job, you know, I can't do this anymore, I said, but I can really do anything. Like I, uh, you know, there are so many things and so many places to go. And, you know, as soon as I hit job boards again, you know, just online job listings, I was like, wow, there are so many things. And I happened upon MentorBox, which in the sort of job description for my position of content coordinator was a series of short paragraphs, all of which aligned, A, with my sort of background in English and film, writing and camera work and interviewing folks and speaking with, you know, experts such as yourself, but B, also the ethos of what I wanted to do within education, within writing, literature, book publishing, all those things were perfectly within that job description. And here I am now very happy with where I am and what I'm doing. And I just like, I think I got even super lucky in in this one transition that I made, but it was just the, the initial opening up to these different prospects is something that I just, that just blew my mind. I was like, Oh wow. I don't know what I was waiting for. And that's why I say that I kind of wish I had encountered your book a, a bit earlier than just than just now when we first interviewed you a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Tyler, I, w- I would say that the process of change is really what we're talking about, that change, because we know that change is a constant. So it's not going any, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be with us constantly. The question is, how do we deal with it? And and, and what I, I really appreciate, and, and at the risk of it sounding self-promotional, I, I appreciate this about the book that I was was blessed to be able to bring into the world, as well as a number of other books that deal deal with this topic, is that there's a process for it, that you don't you're not in it alone, that you don't have to create the wheel, so to speak, that changes like it's something that like anything else in life, you take one step at a time. Baby stepping is is a piece of this equation for for seeing something new happen. And and I want to say just really quickly, too, that, you know, this analogy of being held down, of being held down creates great stress in our lives. And and so doing something that you don't want to be doing or living some aspect of your life, it could be that the relationships that you're in are not the ones that you wanted. I mean, it could be that your finances or your business or whatever it is, it's not the way you wanted it to be. And saying to yourself that I'll keep doing it because I, I don't want to risk something uh, going, you know, having something go wrong. Like it's the, bu- you know, it's the bully, you know, versus the bully, you don't know. It's the, it's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you, you don't know that that feels like brave, bravery, but it's, it's not, it's false bravery because when you deny your heart, you're not being brave that keeping the brave face or allowing yourself to just hold your breath, like keeping your analogy of, of being held down, like you're underwater, you're being submerged and you're holding your breath and feeling like that's being courageous is not the answer. In fact, all that does is create stress. And we know all the things about that that have been written about stress and how stress kills. 
It creates dis-ease. It destroys. It sucks the ma- it sucks the joy out of our life. And the and that source of stress is this, uh, in many ways, this feeling as though we're 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 submerged. That we're we're being held down by something, some force, some power that's that's greater than us, and that we we don't have control. And so, what I think the pivot. This concept of pivoting, this concept of of utilizing change, of making change your friend, as Ram Das said, what that does is it gives you a way to get to get to the surface, to get a breath, to not be submerged, or, or to not feel that out of controlness. I don't know if that's a word, but, but <laughs> it is that. <laughs> yeah, we've just made that word up. It's a brand new word, out of controlness. That that we don't feel that way, and that's not producing that stress and that cortisol in our bodies. I think it's a big, big deal for a lot of people right now. Yeah, and I think you're right that we are kind of, you know, focusing on the the result and the the possibility that change offers, and we're waxing waxing poetic a bit here. I do want to talk about that process, and of course, you know, your book is all about that, and we also don't want to give away too much because we want people to go and pick up the book. Everybody, pick up Pivot at a bookstore near you. I think it's it's important or, to address or, or an Amazon near you. <laughs> or, yes, or an Amazon ebook, all that good stuff. So I, I'm thinking about um, the power of, of routine in particular. You do talk about this at you know many of your speeches that you give when you're when you're speaking publicly. Routine is something that's important to you, and there's plenty of mention it mention of that within the book. With just the sort of the language that you use uh, when you mention you know putting your feet down every morning and that feeling that you felt, the anger that you felt, that to me calls to mind a routine, and in this case you know, a negative one that you wanted to ultimately change. And then you also have that that 21-day plan, I believe, is what you call it within Pivot. And a lot of it is is built around developing a routine. Is that right? It is. That's exactly, the, you know, and I'm just thinking on what you're saying and the contrast between putting my feet down on the ground 10 years ago versus putting my feet down on the ground now. I mean, 10 years ago when I would put my feet down, I'd feel those feelings and and I had a lot to be grateful for at the time. So let let me be, let me be clear about that. I, I was married to my college sweetheart. We're married now almost twenty nine years. We had four healthy kids. We had houses and cars and all these things to be grateful for. But yet I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And when we're not fulfilled, we don't feel successful. Success without fulfillment feels like failure. And I felt like a failure then. And now when I put my feet down on the floor, I feel entirely different. And you're right. It's routine that we're talking about. So my my habit, we're all creatures of habit, and, and many of our habits are subconscious habits. They're they're habits in our in our thinking more than they are anything else. They're thinking habits before they become doing habits. And and so now my habits are different, but I don't call them habits anymore. I because I think of habits as things that are unconscious. And when we write about this in the book, we call them something different. We call them rituals. And I don't mean anything religious when I say ritual, but I do mean something that is sacred okay, and even spiritual, which you're calling routine. And, and that's totally cool as well. I think about these things as conscious, conscious practices. You could call them master habits, or you could call them rituals, which is what we do. And that's a way that we change things in our lives. And we change them in a, in a, a sequential way, we, day by day, moment by moment. That's how things change for us. And so, yes, at the end of the book, we give people an actual 21-day plan, which is new routines, just to use your word. We create new routines for 21 days that creates massive, a massive opportunity for change, for positive change. 
so sorry to interrupt this conversation with Adam Markell, but I wanted to let you know where you can learn more about his pivot mindset. He shot a full workshop with us on his book and how he changed his personal and professional life. As usual, he did this exclusively for MentorBox. To access that and much, much more, be sure to visit MentorBox.com. Okay, back to the show. I could certainly share the one ritual that I start my day with now because it's a good a good contrast. It's a mirror image of the way I used to wake up and put my feet on the floor, and now it's different. So I still wake up. Let's let's put it that way. The, <laughs> and step one. <laughs> and Tyler, this is the this is the piece and I don't want to overlook. This is not to be overlooked. Waking up is a big deal. On a, on a, as a metaphor, we we get what that means. You know, our our consciousness and our aliveness and awareness and all that. So we want to wake up clearly. And not everybody is not everybody's actively practicing that or actively asking for that. So it's something to consider that you wake up. So it's the first step. It's literally the first step in this in this waking routine, this waking ritual to wake up. And and the other thing too that that is not is not far from my my thinking each day is that when I'm waking up and going, yes, I'm awake, there are people who are not are not going to wake up today. As I'm taking that that deep breath, that first breath of the morning, there are people who are taking their last breath, who are breathing in and will not breathe out. That makes that moment special. That makes that moment sacred. When I realize that, I have that realization every morning that, that death is, you know, that it, it's not far. It's never far. And that's not morbid. That's just, that's a beautiful reality that only adds adds more juice to that moment for me and I'm grateful in that moment the juice I feel waking is gratitude gratitude for being awake being alive for taking a deep breath and and I you know if this inspires people great I'm not saying it for inspiration I'm not saying it for motivation this is a reality and I want to be I want to be real and pragmatic I was I spent 18 years as a lawyer so that's still a part of my DNA to be practical to do things that, that are, that are usable in my life. And so, yes, I am grateful for that breath. That's step number two. And the third step is actually saying something and I'm programming. There's no question that I started out saying this to program my, my mind, to program my subconscious even with, with an intention for myself. And, and I say these words out loud and I say them three times in that first 10, 15 seconds of waking. I say these words, I say, I love my life. I love my life. I love my life. And that's how I wake up every day. And I've had the blessing to share that that morning ritual with many, many people all around the world. And what I've gotten back from folks, it's almost like case studies of people who started to adopt this practice, this conscious practice each day for, for initially for 21 days. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's 21 weeks and it's 21 months and it's 20 and someday, not yet, but someday it'll be 21 years. And it has changed my life. It has transformed so many other people's lives. And that's why it's a, it's a wonderful small step in the direction of changing your life to what it is you want. And then obviously, you know, we go through the whole process of pivoting in career and other areas. But that's that's a routine I hope will be helpful to people because it's so easy to do. Absolutely. I think the first two of those, and in particular, the second really crystallized for me what you meant by, you know, sacred, almost spiritual, uh, ritual sort of habit and routine. I was a bit confused at first, but I think it's, 
it's very clear when you're thinking on those terms of sort of, you know, opus of life and what it means to be awake and to be alive. It you can, you know, forego those things in the morning and and not even feel alive when you're just going about a sort of a routine that you don't love. And I think that's that makes it so so important to make that clarification between, you know, routine and sort of almost like spiritual ritual type idea. Well, well, it is. It's it's a part of a spiritual path, and and by spiritual again, I, I mean that we are we're engaged in the betterment of our lives. That that's what a, that's what spiritual path means to me. That we are consciously creating the experience of our own life experience. That's what we're doing. We're the conscious creators of our own life experience, as opposed to allowing your life experience to be created by default. The way you said earlier that, you know, in, in your situation, working in a job that you that you just knew was not right for you. Eating my soul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And waiting, almost waiting for something adverse to happen. And, and you know, it will always when change is meant to happen, it will happen with our with our permission, with our consent or it'll happen without. And that's why, you know, people will self-sabotage or their business will just go bust for no reason that you can explain or their job will be lost or, or, or their health will go south or a relationship will go bad. I mean, it's because we've ignored the signs that are on the wall that say, hey, <laughs> it's time for a change. It's time for something small or not so small to be to be altered in some way. And I think it's really important to be conscious of that. And you mentioned when we were talking before um, we actually started up the call that some of this stemmed from your experience vacationing even. you. So you spent some time in Massachusetts, and I want to address this because, as I said, I'm from there. Um, you went to uh, UMass Amherst for school, which is where you met your wife and kind of you know started your life in that sense. And then you spent some time um, going back and forth uh, at Martha's Vineyard. So that's a, a wonderful place in Massachusetts. It's an island. If, it is. If you haven't heard of it, those listening, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, magical place where you, um, Obama would go there quite frequently um, on his for his vacation times, and I'm, I'm sure many presidents and other uh, famous people do as well. But I, I think it's really important to establish what a break from the grind, from doing work represents and represented in particular for you. Because you mentioned that this is where you sort of realize that, you know, there is that you could experience a sort of freedom and that contrast to what you were feeling every day helped you realize, oh, I need to make a change. Oh, I need to, you know, put this into writing for somebody, you know, at least for my children so that when they reach this point, they have a reference for as to as where they can go. And then it grew from there. Is that right? That, you know, that sort of vacation gave you a bit of an idea as to where you were going. It did. It was a, a place to, to nurture myself and, and cultivate some of these new ideas. And I, I want to just uh, circle back to, you know, we're talking about routines. We're talking about rituals and how important that is in the pivot process. And so there's a, there's literally a process for change. And that's what we, we, outline or what we wrote about and used a lot of case studies to prove in the book. But there's also something else that's really important, and that's resilience. And you probably remember that from the book as well, that we talk about how important it is that we have rituals for resilience, that, that there's actually a process for creating resilience in our lives and our ability to ba bounce back 
to recover from setbacks is so important to recover from just on a daily basis. In fact, there's a great Harvard Business Review article where they studied and, and compared high performing athletes, the best athletes in the world, the ones that have won gold medals in the Olympics and and have also been at the top of the professional side of things and compared those folks to business executives and entrepreneurs and, and even employees. And they found that there was something really in common between those high performing athletes and and the 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 common denominator was this recovery this rituals for recovery rituals that helped these athletes to recover more quickly so in between points like in a tennis match the best athletes in the world are able to bring their heart rate back down to resting they can get into almost a resting state in between points or in between games and then they started to look at people in business and found that one of the biggest things that, that determined whether you'd be successful, get to the higher higher levels in senior management or become a, a CEO or become a successful entrepreneur was whether or not you were able to recover from setback quickly. You were able to, able to get back up even stronger than you were before. And they found that the one thing that would lead to higher performance was not being able to work more hours. It wasn't being able to multitask as you, as you know, we all do that. We all work really long days and all that kind of thing. It was actually making time for recovery. And, and that really, really hit me hard because we had written the book before the article had come out. And that was the thing that we found was that you have to take care of yourself. That self-care and a ritual and routines for self-care, even if it means just 20 minutes a day that you take a walk, because the health benefits of just walking 20 minutes are profound, profound. The endorphins and the the, the oxytocin that's produced from just a 20-minute walk out in nature or walk even around the block in the city, those things are incredible. Going for a massage or meditating or reading something you love, reading a spiritual book or reading poetry or or getting a hug, whatever it is. That, that these are things that help people to recover and come back and come back stronger than they were before. So going to Martha's Vineyard, which, as you said, it's been a, a kind of a storied place. You know, the Kennedys used to go there and it's it's this wonderful, beautiful, you know, this place in nature. And we started to go to that island. And I remember feeling when I was on the ferry because we take the ferry boat over to the island and I could feel myself returning like my true self. I could feel my heart opening and my soul would feel replenished as we just, I mean, just literally got on the ferry and started heading over and I could feel that. And I would tell that to my wife. I'd be like, this feels so incredible. What is this? What, what am I, you know, like, <laughs> and, and eventually what I realized was that there was a big disconnect between that feeling, the feeling I had when we were there and the feeling that I had in those mornings and during the days when I was working in a job and, and was really spending so much of my life energy doing something that, that wasn't my higher purpose, my higher calling. It wasn't what I, I wanted to be doing, but I was doing it out of, you know, obligation and all the, the usual things that we do, pay the bills and take care of family obligations, et cetera. And when I noticed that there was that huge gap and that big disconnect, it had me thinking, it was a catalyst for me to think that there was something better and something more for me. And that, so, yeah, so we went to that island and it became it became the way that I I knew for sure that putting my feet on the floor and feeling the way I was feeling was not going to be my lot in life forever. I'm seeing a distinction here between 
I guess I would call it macro and micro ritual almost. So it seems like it, this vacation, you know, this really getting away and, and kind of creating an entirely different perspective from what you were dealing with, you know, that sort of pure blissful happiness with that sort of angry morning ritual, that really was a, a part of the catalyst to what you're talking about. Do you think that you've talked about how important it is to be able to recover and especially in that immediate sense for the, the most successful athletes and business folks, the re- the recovery after, you know, some adverse event or a, a difficult, you know, um, bit of work or whatever it is, is keenly important to being in that highest echelon. But do you think that there's also a place for that macro ritual, that real more systemic, almost getting away from things like a vacation or just, you know, a full sort of a set of principles by which you live that that involve your specific actions over longer periods of time. Like you have the 21-day plan, um, you know, that offers things immediately uh, each day. But do you think that there are larger scale things that, that you practice or that people can practice to in, either encourage change as it did for you or, or keep you in a happy mindset? Well... It, there's so many, so many loops that you've opened up there. I, I, I so love that, Tyler. It's a great question. And I'm a bothist, okay? I'll say that again. I'm a bothist. So it's Okay. We're making up words today. I love it. We're coining all kinds of terms. We are, right? It's macro and it's micro. And and here's the thing about this recovery. And I'm, I'm going to share the three steps that we use to the resilience ritual. So we, we or the resilience practice. And I'll share that in just a second. But the, the thing here is this. Recovery is something that's vital. We have to we have to take care of ourselves. Self-care is so important in the process of whatever it is that you want to be great at. So, you know, I hear a lot of people expounding this idea that you've got to work, you know, work your tail off from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m., you know, 1 a.m. And you do that every day after your job and you just run yourself at that pace of of never quitting and never, never relenting and and you know, just whatever you've got in the tank, you're going to expend. Whatever you've got, you leave it on the field. And you know what? This there's some truth to that because I'm a believer in tenacity. I'm a believer in in hard work, but I'm not a believer in making work hard. And 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 there's a distinction. Yeah, there aren't they aren't mutually exclusive. I would say. Yeah, when when you make hard work of things, you you only invite more struggle. You only invite being exhausted. You only invite more of that that sort of feeling like you're spinning your wheels and you're not getting any place. So you don't you you work hard, but you don't make hard work of it. And what that means is that you you create a certain level of balance, a certain level of harmony between your on time and your off time. See, these are the dualities in life. That's why I say I'm a bothist because it's not either or, it's always both. And we have to look at at where these things are balancing out or fitting together. And so when we talked earlier about the idea that, that stress is like it presses us down and it submerges us. And when we have these rituals or these practices, if you will, for creating more resilience, for recovering, we're actually giving ourselves those breaths of air. We're, we're allowing ourselves to come to the surface. And that's what makes all the difference, meaning we've got to be able to give ourselves space and time 
for thinking and for feeling. And so going to Martha's Vineyard, you know, to use that analogy of it being a macro. Yeah, we went away. We took vacation. I know people who don't take vacations. I know people who haven't taken vacations in years and they think that they're more productive. They think they can't afford to take a vacation. They think that when they've gone away on vacation, they come back and everything's a mess. Yeah. You know what? We, yeah, of course, we've all understood, you know, experienced that as well. But when you're away, whether it's for a day, <laughs> whether it's for a weekend, whether it's for a, a week or a month or whatever it might be, you're giving yourself a time, a space in which to think, in which to feel. And that's when more clarity comes. I think so many people are doing what they're doing and continue to do it because they lack clarity. They lack a clear direction and even a plan for what to do next. So they keep doing the same thing over and over and thinking somehow they're going to get a different result. And we know, I think it was Einstein said that that's the, the, the definition of insanity, but we're, we're many of us <laughs> insane and that produces great stress in our lives. So three things that I want people to remember when it comes to resilience. One is that when our situation, when we look at our situations, we've got to frame them. We've got to put them in a frame that that's going to make sense to our higher self. And that means not so much positive thinking versus, you know, negative thinking. This is about power thinking and powerful thinking means that we go to our higher self. We go to that place inside of us that is is a guide. And, and why I go on vacations and why I take 20 minute walks or longer walks, et cetera, and why I meditate is so that I can go to my guide. I can allow my inner self, my my true self, my heart to guide me and to provide me with clues as to what it is that I want to do or what it is that's important to do next. So so this idea that, you know, something's happened or something's going on in your life and you don't love it, you've got to go to your guide and frame it in a way that's powerful, as in not what's wrong, but what's right, not what's what sucks. But what what's the creative opportunity in this moment? So the first step is to frame up, to frame something in a an empowering way. The second step is to actually extract the nugget, the golden, you know, this you've got a mind for the golden nugget of wisdom, of learning that came from the situation that you're either in or the one that you're still thinking about. You know, you lost your job or the business didn't go well or or somebody, you know, you were in a relationship and it ended, whatever it is, what's the learning? Because until you take responsibility for the situation and not, not be a victim or not put it on someone else, but actually own whatever it was, at least you're owning your part of it and you learn the lessons there, you cannot move on. The universe will not let you move on until you get the, the learning and you own the result of it. And then it's like you get a golden ticket and you can and that allows you to advance. So that's step two, that you get that knowledge. And the third step is what we've been talking about, which is that you take care of yourself, that self-care becomes a ritual and a, a consciously created habit all by itself. And those three things are what we call a recipe for resilience. So number one, you frame up. Number two, you get the learning, the nugget. And number three, you, you actually focus on self-care, whether it's 20 minutes a day or it's something else. But you you do these things to create more resilience. And that's what, according to the not just the Harvard Business Review, but thousands and thousands of people that I've had the pleasure to work with over the years, that that's what's been the catalyst for something positive, something new happening in their lives is their ability to get back up and move forward and move forward with that greater wisdom, that greater clarity and that greater trust 
in themselves, trust in, in the guidance that comes from the heart. So instead of being guarded or instead of being on guard, I've got a, a story we may not have a chance to talk about, but a story about my lifeguard days. But instead of being on guard, we get to be guided. And, and that guidance comes from within. I'm a huge, huge believer and advocate of self-care. I think it's become especially important in more recent times when the media and politics has become especially divisive and angry and sometimes sad, but just mostly contentious and aggressive. And all we see and all we hear is unhappy. And I, in the sort of online communities that I'm involved in, self-care is emphasized at a, a regular, on a regular basis. I think it's so, so important to remember to take care of yourself. And I think that's an important part of finding your guide is taking care of yourself reminds you what feeling good is and your guide must come from that place of good feeling. Would you agree? I couldn't agree more. Take care of your guide. That's, that's the tweetable right there, buddy. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I guess we can leave it at that. Everybody self-care, self-care, self-care. It's so, so important. You know what? I, I want to I pepper one thing. Can I plus what you just said for a second? Absolutely. Go ahead. Thank you, brother. Self-care is so important to me because it helps us to understand something that we've often forgotten. And maybe we feel like we've never known this, but we did. We knew it when we were children. And that's self-love. And I don't want to sort of digress into that, but it is because it's a, it's a show and, and it's a hundred shows all by itself that the most important thing is that we learn how to love ourselves unconditionally because we cannot love anyone else any better than we love ourselves. So what I really appreciate about self-care is it's retraining us to love ourselves and love ourselves unconditionally. You know, even when we screw up, make mistakes, when we don't like what we've done or we're ashamed of something, it doesn't mean we, we shouldn't love ourselves unconditionally and self-care is a way to retrain that self-love. And, and all of that leads us to when, when we are caring for ourselves and loving ourselves, we trust ourselves. And when we trust ourselves, we're confident when other people can feel it and other people trust us. And you can see just how those dominoes start to tip. And all of a sudden, your life is, is quite different. Like I, I, don't wait, I wake up in the morning now and I put my feet on the floor and I say, I love my life. I don't have any dread about the day. And, and it is the result of what we're talking about, these dominoes that just you start with one small one and it tips. And self-care is a, is a small domino to tip a lot of bigger ones along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 positive energy out into the world. That's such a beautiful message. And thank you so much for sharing it with me and for all of our listeners as well. Everybody, if you want to learn more about Adam Markell's incredibly positive message and how to pivot successfully and, and find that happy place, that place of self-love and self-care, uh, pick up the book, Amazon, any bookstores near you. It's a great read. Before we leave, Adam, I just want to ask if you have any calls to action for those that are listening, if they're seeking to pivot themselves or find out if they're in a, a pivotable, pivotable moment. Yeah, that's a good word right there, right? Piv <laughs> pivotable. Say that yeah. times fast, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I always think that wherever we're at, we're in the perfect place to, to be moving forward from here. And um, a lot of times we get folks that want to understand better what the process is like and where they might be in the process. So we've got a gift for folks that, that are curious and they can go to start my pivot. 
pivot.com startmypivot.com and they can download a free kickstart guide there's nothing to sell there it's just the kickstart guide and six questions as well as some of those rituals that we were talking about so we know the 21 day plan is at the end of the book and we've given some rituals some things that i do as part of this free kickstart guide so it doesn't replace the book but it's definitely a great place to begin and they can even do it right now and have it in their hands in you know sort of five seconds and um also we we have a beautiful podcast that people tend to to give us really great feedback on so adammarkell.com forward slash podcast they can check that out as well adam thank you so much for joining us hopefully we will cross paths again and have more conversations like this thank you so much tyler you're you're an awesome awesome dude pleasure to spend time with you thanks for having me on the show today oh well thank you so much and everybody else thanks for tuning in we'll see you on the next episode Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.